Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Relationship Renovation Podcast. I'm Tara Kerwin. And I am EJ Kerwin. And as always, we're so grateful to all of our listeners out there, and thank you for all of the positive feedback that we're getting on our podcast. Um, Today, I mean, we're always excited about the guests that we have on. Today is somebody very special, though, and EJ, I'll let you introduce her, but very excited for today. A very special guest and also just someone exploring a topic that is, you know, central to intimate relationship and a topic that, you know, most couples at some point are going to deal with, if not all couples are going to deal with. Uh, Her name is Jessa Zimmerman. She is a certified sex therapist. She is the founder of Intimacy with Ease. Uh, She's the author of of a book, Sex Without Stress. And she also has her own podcast that she is the host of, the Better Sex Podcast. All of those names yeah, are, are like incredible, them. Jessa. Welcome. <laughs> and thank you for being here. I'm so glad to be here. Thanks for inviting me. I mean, we always like to just start with, you know, tell us about yourself, a little bit about your background, uh, what you do and, and how you came about doing it. I am a therapist in private practice in Seattle. And I've been doing this over a decade now, and I work exclusively with couples and mostly about sex and intimacy. And um, I got into this, I, I knew going to school to get my master's to be a therapist, I wanted to work with couples. And then early on in that training, uh, there was a sex therapist doing a little mini course, and she said that she considered uh, sex therapy to be grief and loss work. Mm-hmm. And that just hit me. <laughs> like yeah. it was one of those lightning bolt hit me in the gut moments. Like people are suffering if they are not intimately connecting with their partner, right? There is so much grief with this. And it was just one of those things. It's like, okay, that's what I'm going to do. And of course it was a long process to become certified. You know, first I had to get licensed. I had to finish grad school, get licensed, get certified as a sex therapist. It's a huge process, mm-hmm. but I've been committed since that very moment. Yeah. Well, like when you said that, it really dinged with me the the first time I heard you say it. And then just now when you said sex is about grief and loss, it just dinged with me that, you know, so many couples, when we meet them, they always refer back to their, their sex life early on in their relationship. Is that, is that sort of what she was talking about? Well, I mean, I think, I mean, I guess I could go ask Kelly what she meant, but the way this strikes me is I guess a couple different things, you know, sometimes people have sexual struggles or something changes, you know, sexual dysfunction or aging or cancer or whatever. And there's some sort of shift and we need to grieve that, (laughs) you know, that's a real loss. And we have to then move through that grief and that, um, you know, we have to adjust to that and then walk into a new normal that we can embrace. But even if that doesn't happen, people so frequently start to struggle in their sex life. You know, maybe it's just not the way it was in the very beginning, but they're disconnected. They're starting Mm. to be avoidant. It's starting to be stressful. And that just creates so much distance. And that is something that people grieve. I mean, I, a client said to me way back when, one of my early, early years, he said, I never feel lonelier than I, when I lie in bed next to my wife. Oh my gosh. And I was just like, oh, you know, that's what I mean. That is grief. That is loss. And people are suffering um, 
And I would say needlessly. I mean, you know, as long as, as long as your relationship is strong, as long as you love each other and there's goodwill, not like it has to be perfect, uh, but we can, we can do something about the sex life. We we don't have to have that suffering. We've heard this often that I'd rather be alone than feel so alone in this relationship. Yeah. Yeah. It's heartbreaking. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then I think, I think sex is also the area where like people, you know, it's, it's such a personal way. And if you can't connect, you know, supposedly for the most part in an intimate relationship, you know, that's the one person that you're connecting in the whole world with in that way. And then when that breaks down, it's like, well, then I guess, you know, I guess I don't get to have that connection with anybody. Right. Right. And certainly there are people in more, you know, different kinds of relationship structures where that's not quite at play, but even then they, they're going to miss this with that partner. Yeah. You know, and then if you are monogamous, it's like, what do you do? Face the rest of your life without that connection or, you know, yeah. it's heartbreaking. Yeah. When do you think, you know, we see a lot of couples and um, we usually kind of start talking about sex and intimacy and like the latter part, we kind of created this like structured 22 week ish. Some couples fall in it. Some couples don't, but we know like we really have to get to this emotional safety place first because so many couples have either never really talked about it. And it's such a huge source of tension that if we don't help them create emotional safety first, there's no way, but like what's different from, I guess, a couple that seeks out a sex therapist versus just say your traditional couples counseling. Well, I, let's see, I <laughs> Sorry, know. I so many, no, no, I just have so many different thoughts about that. So on the one hand, I think couples who they seek out uh, maybe says how high on the ladder is a sexual struggle. But of course, two people are in a couple are not likely to see that the same. So part of me wants to say, it depends who sort of won that conversation, the person that's, you know, the higher desire partner for sex and sort of insists on dealing with that or the other person that says, let's deal with everything else first. Mm -hmm. But, you know, and maybe this is just because I'm a sex therapist, but I only work with couples. Like I do regular couples counseling too. Um, I am a little biased towards starting to work on sex way earlier than people that aren't sex therapists. Right. Because there does need to be enough emotional safety that people can approach this as a team. There can't be huge power struggles going on or so much resentment or just straight out of infidelity or, you know, Mm -hmm. some major, if there's some really major stuff going on, yes, we need to sort of get a solid foundation first. But barring that, I am prone to just let's start talking about sex right away, because my belief is people will go to like a marriage counselor and think we just have to work on communication, Mm -hmm. you know, and then sex will fix itself. But that doesn't happen. (laughs) They communicate better and nobody's really addressed sex. But the other way is really powerful. If people are supported to take on what they each need to take on in order to make sex work, I believe that ripples out. So they're going to master communication and they're going to master taking care of themselves and setting boundaries and honesty and all these different kinds of things that are so, so important. So I think it's actually really powerful to Mm -hmm. dive into sex earlier than the tail end of a course of therapy. But that, you know, that's as a sex therapist with a lot of training and ideas about exactly how to support people in that work. Yeah, yeah that, just, that's exactly what j- jumped out to yeah. me too. Is I wonder if sometimes a therapist might kind of kick it down the road a little bit the because because they're not totally ready to talk about it or they're not exactly sure yet how to approach sex, and they feel like, well, if I get to know these people really well first, then right. maybe I'll have a better set of, of tools to help them in in the sexual realm. 
Yeah, it's it's interesting because I think I, I mean I think you're right. There are plenty of therapists who are not they don't ask the questions about sex because they don't know what they're going to do with the answers. <laughs> you right. know, like if they have, you have no training in that, no shame in that. It's like, I don't know what to do with this. It's not my thing. Mm-hmm. But I think the opposite is also true because I remember when I was just getting certified as a sex therapist and I looked up sex therapy on um, psychology today, just in my zip code. Right. And there were so many people that listed it as a specialty, none of whom had any training. <laughs> Like a couple of them were young women I knew that were fresh out of grad school and I knew they'd had no training. And I don't think people are being malicious with this or or trying to mislead anybody. I think they don't know what they don't know. It's like, oh, I'm a therapist. I like sex or I'm open to talking about it. I can say I do sex therapy. And they don't they don't understand what they don't know and the huge amount of training those of us are certified have. So other people, I think, dive right in, Mm -hmm. not understanding their limitations or their own biases that might be at play. I agree with that. And even just like in our Tucson community, there is just a handful. handful. Half a handful. And I've been, I can't tell you, Jessa, I've looked for years now to get into what, because I really wanted to get credentialed as a sex therapist. Yeah. I've got four kids, four animals, a business, a full caseload, <laughs> and it's like a two-year. That's a big commitment, right? And I'm it just is, like, I It is keep, a really big commitment. I keep yeah. wanting to do it. And then I just keep saying like, when, where, how, can't we just hire somebody? <laughs> but then we'd have to send them <laughs> through the two years. So it is like, I just, I I admire people that really go through that certification process because I look at it and it, it feels daunting though. I really, really want to do it. I hope you do. I hope you do. Yeah. Yeah. Could you tell us, I mean, cause part of what we do a lot of times is we try to educate our audience, you know, cause a lot of people just don't know a lot about the mental health world and how it works. So what does a person, if somebody goes out and finds a sex therapist, what do they know they're getting when they, (laughs) well, okay. Except in Florida, anyone who's a therapist can call themselves a sex therapist all over the entire country. So if all you get is a sex therapist, like if somebody just puts that on their website, you don't know what you're getting. Oh, wow. You really don't. They can have zero training in sex therapy. So- so not much. So that's, that's terrifying. <laughs> they can have nothing. They can have like nothing. But maybe they have too. a lot. Maybe they have a lot. Sure. Right. But I, what I would recommend is that people go to ASECT, which is the American Association of Sexuality Educators, Counselors, and Therapists, AASECT.org. That's the organization that really certifies people. Okay. So you can put in, you can find somebody by location, Mm -hmm. you know, put in your state and try to find somebody certified. I think though, there are still a handful of states without somebody certified in them. Okay. So at that point, you know, maybe you could find somebody working towards certification because then they'd be under supervision. And then, okay. So a couple who's kind of making that decision and they're, and they know they have issues in their sex life, but they also have issues around just, you know, their communication or conflict resolution, whatever. Mm -hmm. When they're at that crossroads, do I pursue somebody who has a lot of experience in, in sex therapy or just go the other drought? What would you say is like sort of a decision point for them in, in, in making that decision? Well, I mean, any sex therapist is going to be pretty well versed in couples counseling. That's part of the right. part of the training people have to have because so much of sex therapy work is couples work. So you're not exactly choosing one or the other. Ideally, they're merged, mm-hmm. you know. I guess I'd say how all things being equal, let's say you have a choice of both in your community or your state. <laughs> I guess it would come down to how quickly do you want to start diving into sex? 
Because yeah. if you're going to, if you want to spend, you know, months working on the relationship and communication and safety building and all of that and sort of push sex back, then a regular couples counselor could serve you, but then you're going to need to switch at the end. Or if you'd rather be addressing your sexual issues pretty quickly or alongside of the other ones, which is sort of how I work, then I would start with a sex therapist. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. That, it's so interesting. So we have um, like a subjective report that all of our couples fill out every week before they come in to see one of our therapists or us. It's like a zero to five, like how happy do we feel in our sexual relationship? And I always look at it weekly to make sure they're kind of on the same page. And it'll be so interesting when you have one partner that's like five, like that means excellent. <laughs> and the other person puts zero. And I'm yeah. like, so let's, because one of the person is a higher desire partner and they want more sex. And the other person's like, I have no sexual desire. We're not having sex. I'm great. Yeah. <laughs> and then it's like, okay, how do we like talk about that? You guys, because that's a huge discrepancy and you're not on the same page around this. Right, right. Well, and the fact is there's always a desire discrepancy, right? In every relationship, at least after the honeymoon phase, somebody wants more sex than the other person. It's so common. I mean, it's not just common, it's universal because why would any two people want exactly the same amount of sex? So there's always a higher desire person and a lower desire person. And that's not a problem. It's just, how are they navigating? How it? are they navigating it? Right. Because they fall into what I call these traps. You know, people can navigate a desire discrepancy without any issues and be perfectly happy, believe it or not. You know, so anybody who's struggling in this is like, what? <laughs> but if you're handling it in these sort of predictably problematic ways, it just causes more and more tension and more and more polarization, and it can become a really big deal. So what are a couple of those ways in which people approach this, as you said, universal issue that comes up between couples? How are some of the ways that they're, they're handling it that, that aren't, you know, aren't working for them? Yeah. So, so for the higher desire person, it is a mistake or a trap to take it personally to take your partner's level of desire or how their desire works as if it's about you. Mm -hmm. So, so many people end up feeling rejected and they take it personally and they get really distraught. But what this will do, I mean, first, it's sort of like if your partner isn't hungry, is that about you, right? It's just, it's so much about the other person and how their sexual desire works. But if you do this, if you take it personally and make it about rejection and you get really unhappy or you pout or whatever, <laughs> you're changing the meaning of sex mm -hmm. because now it's not something that we go do together and share this amazing experience. Now it's something I need to do. So you feel okay about yourself. Exactly. Now it's something I got to do. So you won't pout tomorrow. Now it's something I got to do. So you'll feel good about yourself and I can kind of prop you up. That makes it way less engaging for the lower desire person, right? Like it's really a different thing going on. Feels like it puts like a lot of responsibility and yeah, and, and like unhealthy codependency almost on that person on the lower desire. Yeah, yeah, and most of them when I talk about this are like, oh yeah, you know, because you're basically they're in charge of the higher desire person's sense of adequacy, and it's mm -hmm. like, oh, that's not good, you know. And then it's also a mistake to sort of pathologize your lower desire partner. I see this all the time. People come in, and the person that doesn't feel much desire feels broken, and the other one thinks they're broken too. Like what's yeah. wrong with you that you don't want more sex? This is a natural thing. You know, something must be off. You're missing something. You were repressed. It's all about your mother, whatever yeah, they say, yeah. you know, and that does not help your lower desire partner approach this and want to be intimate with you when you're looking at them like they're broken. That's so interesting because there's a, you know, there's a word for the person who has a lower sex drive, right? The hypo sexual desire, but there's no, there's no clinical definition for the person who, who wants more. 
Well, that's because neither one is actually pathology. So I do not endorse that hypoactive sexual desire disorder. Um, it's just so contextual. It is so contextual. And yes. And because desire <laughs> changes throughout a lifespan and, and according to like environmental circumstances and yeah. Yeah. And some people under stress really withdraw and kind of shut down and their, their whole approach, part of their brain shuts down. Other people under stress want more sex. Like that's where they go, but it's how our brains work. It's not, it's not pathology. And then there's relationship issues and there's health and mental health and there's exhaustion and there's chores and there's worries and on and on and on. Gosh. And there's also um, two different kinds of desire. Yeah. Tell us about that. Yeah. Okay. So I, I call one of them proactive. So proactive desire, it's like, this is on your mind. You're thinking about it. You're, you're horny. You're interested. You'd like to make this happen. <laughs> and so that's what we think of as libido, right? And sexual right. desire. And that's what we expect to feel. That's what we want our partner to feel. But that is not how it always works. So a lot of people have more reactive desire which is, gosh, I wasn't thinking about sex at all. You know, I'd rather sleep. It's the last thing on my mind, not interested. But if we start and if things are good and if I get the touch and the time that I need, maybe my body starts to respond, right? Maybe I start to get aroused. It's like, oh, now I'd like sex. Mm -hmm. And this is normal. This is not broken, but it works really differently. And so if people don't understand, you know, I'll say this to people, people come in my office and say, I have zero libido, right? And I describe this and they say, oh yeah, that happens. You know, like they totally dismiss it. It's like that's sexual desire. That's just reactive sexual desire. Mm -hmm. I mean, but that puts a lot of like the responsibility back on the couple, right? To be cultivating like other ways of being connected that might lead to, you know, some yeah, sort of it, arousal. It basically, you know, it needs opportunity. So somebody with reactive desire, it's not going to show up unless you start, <laughs> you yeah. know, I mean, not maybe never, you might, it doesn't mean somebody is a hundred percent reactive, but you need to start, you need to be willing to switch gears and like, enjoy, you know, be open to getting in the mood. Cause I think a lot of people who have, who feel no desire, no proactive desire really already have concluded that they don't want sex. And so it takes an openness to like, let's see what happens, you know? And then it takes flexibility on both people's part because it doesn't show up all the time. Mm -hmm. And you don't know ahead of time, am I going to end up aroused and interested in sex or am, am I not? You know, right. so there has to be flexibility. Like let's go enjoy the way I talk about this is it's like sex is like going to the playground. So it's the outing that matters. It is not whether we go down the slide. We don't go with an agenda. We don't have goals. We just show up. We do what we feel like doing. We get inspired to for the next thing, whatever. And when we're done, we go home. The whole thing's a win because yeah. we don't know going in if the engine's going to turn over, you know, and if it doesn't, that's got to be okay. Yeah. That, it's like, but it's like completely counterintuitive to like everything in this culture where everything yeah, is, yeah, is everything <laughs> is results driven. Everything mm -hmm. is about the outcome and you're trying to, you know, convince people like, Hey, it's not even yeah. about having sex. It's about connecting. Like, well, yeah, what? exactly. Sex in my mind is not what you do with body parts for a particular outcome. It's about sharing pleasure and connection. And if you set it up to be so goal oriented, what do you do when those body parts don't work the same? What do you do if you can't get to an orgasm, right? What if, what do you do when some of this comes off the table? Mm -hmm. You know, it's like, no, you gotta, you gotta be more creative and more expansive than that. I know I, I had one client. She said, I just I have a broken vagina. She's like, no. can't, can't you just look at it like that to her husband? He's like, but it's not broken. She's like, it, it feels that way for me. Hmm. Yeah. 
Well, and I, the time I mostly hear that specifically is when somebody has pain with sex because it shouldn't hurt. Um, mm-hmm. And that is one of the few times I'll tell people which is what to do, which is don't have sex. Do I mean, don't have penetrative sex. Don't do things that hurt. Yeah. Find other ways to be intimate and connecting with each other. What, right. I, I have to ask you this because we have countless numbers of couples that are like, they have kids, they work, they get home yeah. at night. They put their kids to bed. They watch Netflix. Usually one person wants to have sex at night before bedtime. Mm -hmm. Partner starts to get nervous around that time. Mm -hmm. Anxiety starts to creep in because that person's exhausted. Yeah. They also don't want to hurt that. Like, what do you, how do you help couples when they feel so just kind of overwhelmed with life? They're not getting date nights. They're not getting quality time yet. They still know they have to have sex. And they kind of think of it differently. Does that make sense? Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I hear this all the, all the time, too. So one of the problems is, you know, going back to the idea that most people don't treat sex like a playground. They treat it like uh, the image I have in my webinar is of a football field. We are marching down the field towards the goal line. It doesn't yeah. count unless we cross the goal line. It's all or nothing. We are having sex or we are not having sex. Mm-hmm. And that is a pass-fail system largely fail in the situation that you're describing, Mm -hmm. right? As opposed to, can we, first of all, prioritize some time to connect with each other and make sure you're keeping emotionally connected too. Right. And can we talk about when we could schedule some playground time? Because, you know, the thing is, I don't, I never want couples to schedule sex. Yeah. I want you to schedule the opportunity for sex. Yes. Quality time. Go to the playground and see what happens. And it either turns into sex, whatever that is for you, or it doesn't. That's okay. Just enjoy whatever you're doing. Unless you have that flexibility, there is so much pressure. It's sort of like every time you might even want a little snack, you have to go out for a four course meal and it's all about the chocolate cake. Mm-hmm. And it's like, holy cow, never mind. I don't even want the chips, you know? It's <laughs> like it's too big a, an ordeal when we're first starting out. Now, once we yeah. get going, it's like, oh, actually, I'm enjoying this. And, you know, if you treat it this way, your reactive desire is going to show up some percentage of the time. Exactly. You're actually going to want sex some percentage of the time. But if you didn't yeah. start, you wouldn't get there. So, what are sort of the, the, parameters or building blocks or like, how do you help a couple, you know, that, that's sitting at home and they're, they're listening to this right now. Like, how do they create that space where it's not about like trying to have sex, but it's that playground time that you're talking about. It's that new narrative that you're talking about more adventurous. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I think I would invite them to buy into what I'm saying, which is reactive desire is normal. We have to approach that differently. We have to create opportunities where it might emerge Mm. and we have to be okay if it doesn't. Mm -hmm. So if it can be like, I'm letting go of the goal, I don't have any expectation. Let's just mess around a little bit. You know, let's communicate with each other. Maybe we just need to start with a conversation or a back rub or whatever. Let's just start to build some physical intimacy in that doesn't have any expectation. And then let's talk about where this fits in our life because 11 o'clock at night, maybe it's too late. You know, Mm -hmm. don't put it off till last thing. What's it like to do this right when the kids go to bed or on a weekend afternoon Mm -hmm. while they watch a movie or something? And do you suggest routine or more spontaneity? Well, in the situation you're describing, I doubt it would ever, it would happen spontaneously very much. That's not realistic. What happens, yeah, what happens spontaneously, right? Like our (laughs) lives are full. We're not sitting around with all this free time with like twiddling (laughs) our thumbs, you know? So they're going to have to take this time from other places. And it's okay to schedule it. That's just, that just means it's important. 
You know, if you, if you go to the you're gym, prioritizing, you fit, yep. yeah, exactly. It's not a, it's not a dirty word. It means it's, you're prioritizing something. You're saying it's important. You are setting aside time for it. You're taking that from somewhere else. And that is lovely. Absolutely. And then within that time, it can be spontaneous. Like you don't know right. what's going to happen yet. And then if you get spontaneous moments too, well, hallelujah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's so interesting too. Like I find us humans to be really good at learning from experience or really good from learning from role modeling, seeing other people do this. And I can't think of like maybe one or two couples that, that w- when we get to the point where we're talking about sex and we talk about like what they saw as kids and what, who talked to them about it, like nobody, nobody. I mean, maybe, you know, the luckiest in the world has somebody who actually talks about sex, but talks about what you're talking about or, or you know, where their parents are like, wow, we cultivate really a playful time where we, <laughs> where we yeah. are, you know, like who <laughs> in the world gets this? Other than somebody who goes to a therapist or a sex therapist, like nobody gets this. Yeah. I mean, I suppose maybe in the world of social media, there's a little bit more of the sex positivity and kind of messaging out there that you can come across on Mm -hmm. Instagram or something, you know, but, you know, because I talk about this all day long and it seems so obvious to me. And every time I tell new people, it's like busts their brain open. It's like, really, how did we not know this? They just thought they were broken you know, and we're sort of back to the grief and loss. Like what a horrible feeling to live with, to feel like you're failing or you're broken or something is desperately wrong with your relationship Mm. or with you, you know, that is just such a burden. Uh, Can I just share like a little personal story? Oh my gosh. um, EJ and I had, we got married and I got pregnant with twins on our honeymoon. And the twins, I'm a twin and I didn't even think at could happen. And then the twins had colic, both of them for for, for nine months, not nine weeks. (laughs) I was nursing like every hour. I was a wreck. And then like sex drive, zero, nothing. Don't even look at me. Okay. And here we are like developing our program. Cause I was like, if I was telling EJ, cause I've been a marriage counselor for over 20 years. I said, if two therapists are having this hard of a time, like navigating the stressful time. Like we have to help others. That's kind of the story of us, how we even started our, he said, she said, they said counseling. But I remember I felt broken. I felt like there was something wrong with me. EJ and I would try to go on a date and I would be like, oh God, he's going to expect something after our date. And and I I went, I tried everything. I tried bioidentical hormones. I tried every kind of freaking supplement out there for women. And I finally went to um, a naturopath and she was like, Tara, you would be abnormal if you had a sex drive right now. Yeah. She's like, this is okay. And I was like, you don't think I'm in, in menopause? She's like, <laughs> no. no, you're you're 42. But I, I remember I like I left her office crying yeah. because she was like, you are starting your own business. You have four kids. You're in a blended family. You had colic twins. You just, and she just normalized like, you shouldn't have to have a sex drive right now. It's okay. And yeah. I was like, oh, okay. Just, it was very like a, huge awakening for me. Like, okay, but I also have to manage my own stress level because otherwise, you know, I will never feel that desire if I'm that in in that time in my life, I was very overwhelmed. Yeah. Yeah. And I, you know, who knows with two nursing twins, you know, I don't know what kind of opportunity there would have been even for reactive desire, but you know, but it's still based on this sort of idea that we're supposed to just feel desire as opposed to no, no, it's lots of people don't feel it 
spontaneously and need to enter that space and start yeah. and, and cultivate it. And it's like, oh, now I'm kind of turned on. Now I want sex. And so that takes a lot of self-awareness and communication and a lot of teamwork from your partner too, to be willing to like, what's this on-ramp for you? How, you know, yeah. how do we create this? As a sex therapist, do you, like, I don't know if this is more of a myth, but like some people think of sex therapists, like, you know, that one Netflix show sex education with like the sex therapist and all the vibrators and play toys and yeah, all yeah. of that, like, <laughs> Like how often do couples come in and they just want to like learn new ways of being with each other sexually versus kind of more of the basic, like, oh, we're not connecting right now. Yeah. It's not very often that they just want to come in. I mean, it's not like I'm a, some sort of coach on sexual technique or something gotcha. like that. Although okay. I can certainly, I can help people have a conversation among themselves around what they might like. And I might have some ideas or some resources for them, but it's more about, brainstorming the kinds of things that are experienced as pressure and stressful or disappointing. Mm -hmm. And how can we reframe this? And how can you practice interacting in a way to sort of master these real shifts in paradigm, you know? And I, you know, I bring up things like vibrators and stuff sometimes if we're talking about orgasm or something like that. And, but you know, they're going to go shop for that generally on their own. Right. But yeah, most of the time they're having more trouble and somebody's avoiding it and it's become really yeah. stressful by the time they're coming into therapy. I like the way you kind of were going about helping couples find this time to connect to each other and and create that reactive desire, I think is what you called it. Mm -hmm. You know, because what that does is it creates, you know, like a system or like some way to ongoingly uh, connect with your partner in that way. Because, you know, one of the things we talk about with couples, not just in the realm of sex, but just, but throughout relationship is that things are going to shift over the, the months and the years and the decades oh, yeah. together and things are going to go up and down. And the more that you can create some sort of systems right. in all the different realms of your relationship that cultivate togetherness, you know, the, the higher the likelihood that you're going to get through it in a positive way. Yeah. In some ways, sexual struggles like dysfunction or some major change as hard as that is, really gives couples an opportunity to recreate from scratch. Like, you know, if you don't have those troubles, a lot of couples just go through, like through the motions in a rut, have sex the same way. They're barely even awake, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And when you're, when you're forced to reevaluate this stuff and recreate and what works and let's communicate, we got to figure out what's working now. Like you're really starting from scratch in a way. And that's a really good skill to have. Cause you're right. It's not the last time there's going to be a wrench in the works. Yeah. I think that's important because I feel like there's a myth like, oh, it's, it should just come naturally. It should just be easy. Yeah. And that knowing that, no, like every relationship takes work of prioritizing, creating quality time, talking about difficult things, opening up to conversations around intimacy, then things will flow. But it's kind of like that idea, that expectation that will never be met, that it's supposed to be just like hot, passionate sex all the time. <laughs> Yeah, it is definitely a myth that sex should just happen naturally and should just work. Yeah. You know, and I think we're back to where we started too, which is if people go to counseling thinking, oh, if we just fix communication, mm -hmm. then sex will just work because it's really the communication right. that's a problem. And it's like, no, it doesn't quite work like that. We got to often have to address sex directly. And if, and really, if you tackle what you need to individually, each of you individually within a couple, 
to transform your sex life, that takes a lot of growth. <laughs> that is challenging work. Yep. You've got to face some things head on. You're going to be having conversations that maybe are some of the most difficult, you know, you're going to have to challenge your expectations. You're going to have to have boundaries, all these different things that are then so good for your overall relationship. Yeah. It's like a lot of individual work for the sake of the couple. Yeah. I don't, well, I, I, was, I don't know if you guys say this, but as a couples therapist, I really believe that the best individual therapy is done in couples counseling. Oh yeah. It's like, you know, two people really have to kind of take on their own stuff in front of each other with the other person yeah. willing to point stuff out or challenge. I mean, it's so, it's really fabulous individual work. That it's brave. It's courageous. And I say, yep. you guys, the moment you don't want to come back is the moment everything's about to change. So stay with me. <laughs> yeah. 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 I think I, I, what I love about the process with couples is when whatever it's about, when you can create a moment for them where, where one or both of them is able to show up in a completely vulnerable way. And then they have that moment of just like you see them connecting in ways that they haven't in, in years or sometimes ever. Yeah. You, you know, and it's just about, can you let your walls down? And it's so hard to do. We're just like, we're not evolutionarily disposed to letting our walls down, which has got to be a big obstacle in sex, right? Right, right. Yeah. And in the beginning, you know, again, if everything's working in terms of physical functioning, we don't have to confront some of this stuff. We can just sort of go on autopilot, not communicate that much. But once you hit these struggles, it's not going to go like that. It's going to take digging in and, and getting honest and being open and being willing to transform how you think and how you behave. Yeah, it sounds like maybe one of the first, well, what is one of the first kind of interventions you do with with a couple? Is it just kind of opening the doors to talking about what's working, what's not working, or how do you usually approach it? Well, I mean, I, I guess I start with this idea of this whole paradigm shift because people do come in thinking they're broken, thinking it's just supposed to work, thinking something's really going wrong mm-hmm. with all kinds of expectations that are not realistic or helpful. So a lot of it, actually is just changing that, you know, and then it's like, oh, this makes, this makes so much sense. Then it's a matter of finding out ways to practice this whole idea of like going to the playground. What would this look like for you guys? How can you really set aside your expectations and pressure and your fears, right? How can you really get in touch with what you want and start to ask for that? How can you be more in the moment and more present and less goal oriented, you know? So the behavioral stuff's really, really important, but it's about practicing all these things. Yeah. that I think are sort of true in the playground. So we try to leave like our, our couples with at least one, you know, sort of a common thing that a couple might struggle with or an individual within a couple struggle with and have, you know, someone like yourself, an expert, give some insight into it. And I, one thing that I've seen oftentimes is when it comes to talking to sex, the one person who is that low desire person, especially if there's a really large discrepancy between the two, like there's a big fear that it's almost that it's like a physiological thing. Like, you know, with, mm-hmm. with, with men, it's like, you know, it's erectile dysfunction with women, maybe it's painful intercourse, but the person who, who isn't sure, like whether it's about that something is physically wrong with them, whether it's something in the relationship, whether it's a past trauma, you know, somebody who, who is just, and I see them, they're so scared to begin the conversation you know, mm-hmm. they're scared to come in the couples therapy or sex therapy and talk about it. I mean, what do you say to that person? Well, I mean, this is where, this is where my heart is <laughs> because mm. I, 
I wrote my book for couples and my first online course was for couples. And now I'm really reworking the entire thing to speak to exactly this person and especially women in this situation, Mm -hmm. because I think they expect that we will tell them they just need to have sex. Sex is important. You just got to do this. And I think they're really resistant because they think they're going to have to do something they don't want to do as opposed to let me help you want as much sex as you might want. This has got to be something you enjoy and has something in it for you. It cannot be something you're doing just for your partner. Mm -hmm. It just won't be sustainable. So you're not broken. And there are ways to really tap into what you would enjoy, sexual or not, like no judgment about whatever it is, but some way to make physical intimacy really engaging and pleasurable for you, which I totally believe is possible. (laughs) And then get your partner on board to value that as much as whatever it is they want. Yeah. It's building individual confidence first that like there is that it's inside of you. You just haven't probably created that avenue to really plug into that part. Yeah. And what you want or where that might go, maybe doesn't Mm. seem good enough. That doesn't count. That's Mm. not sexual enough, or that's not about orgasm, or that's not about intercourse. It's like, no, no, let's get freedom to like find your pleasure and your desires, whatever that is, and make some space for that and honor that as much as anything anybody wants out of sex. That That is like huge, right? Because if because most of the time somebody's walking in the door in a situation like this, they're doing it for their partner. Like they don't want to yeah. do it because they're, they're unhappy. They're scared. They feel shameful about it. But having that shift to like doing it because it's for you. Yeah. And then, you know, have your partner like be involved in that process instead of it just being like the total opposite, which is so unmotivating. We, yeah. most of us, we're all driven by our own needs, you know? And and if we're seeing like, oh, we're going to do this thing that seems like incredibly uncomfortable and it's all for somebody else. Right. Well, God, what's a, like, that's hard to get motivated for. No, it is. And, you know, and some people can, like they really, I want my partner to be happy. So whatever, but they will hit a wall. Yeah. If, if this can't be for them, you, I really believe you can't do that forever. I've seen this too many times where mm-hmm. somebody has been having sex for their partner and it starts with really good intentions want them to be happy, you know, then it gets harder and they start to avoid, then they start to get resentful and they will hit a wall where they literally cannot make themselves do it again. No. And then that resentment, resentment starts to build in a little, we've seen it. Yeah. 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 And the, and the partner 99% of the time is not enjoying this either. They don't want somebody who lies there and goes through the motions doing this like for them out of obligation. They want to part, they're longing for a partner to want to be physical with them. So they have real reasons to get on board and change their expectations and their idea of what sex is too, because this is what their partner's going to actually want. And that matters. All right. Well, I mean, so that's a great entryway for somebody, right? And so, you know, today they're hearing you speak about this. And obviously if they live in Seattle, they have the ability to reach out, uh, you know, to connect with you as a clinician. But I mean, tell us more about what are you doing and, and how can people get to you in, you know, sort of the broader sense? Yeah. So that's why, I mean, anybody in Washington can work with me as a clinician. Um, although I don't have a lot of room, but <laughs> anyway, <laughs> but that's why I've created um, online courses. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so the first step really is to go watch my free webinar, which is how to want sex again. So it doesn't, it, you know, so it never feels like a chore. <laughs> so all these ideas we're talking about, which is at intimacywithease.com slash masterclass. And then 
for anybody who, where it really resonates and they want that support could do my online course because that's not therapy. So that's open to everybody. Yeah. And is that, is that for an individual or a couple together or who is Well, that? it's sort of both. It's for an individual to sign up um, and do the course, but then there's all these resources to do with your partner because, okay. you know, there's a lot we can change. Like if we change our steps, we can't do the same dance with our partner. Like it has to change, but ideally the partner also needs this whole mindset shift, this new paradigm. They need places to practice this together. Like that's, that's going to be the best way. So that's why there's a whole partner part of this too, that they can share when they're ready. Okay. And then, and then of course, uh, you know, I've listened to your podcast. It's excellent. You have a ton of guests and you have, you have a ton of, you have like, um, I think like 200 episodes, right? I do. I think tomorrow is like number 203. Yay. (laughs) Congratulations. (laughs) Yeah. So, so please check out Jess's, uh, podcast, better sex and also author of the book, uh, sex without stress. Check that out as well. Love it all. And all of those of course, will have, um, links to that in the show notes, for this episode. And, uh, I mean, Jessa, we would love to have you back sometime. This, this would be amazing. This is, I feel like we just were, you know, kind of touching the the tip of the tip of the iceberg, so to speak. I agree. I'd be happy to come back. Thank you so much. And for any listeners out there, you know, just if you, you know, will have any questions or thoughts around kind of, you know, how to really, cultivate something in your relationship around intimacy or sex or any questions we're always here to answer yeah absolutely so um you know please uh visit our social media and uh, again hit us up with any questions and we will make sure that you have the ability to contact jessa zimmerman at all of her points of contact you were a really wonderful guest today jessa and we thank you so much yeah thank you for all the work you do with couples oh thanks (laughs) All right. Well, thank you guys all out there for listening. As always, take care of yourself. Take care of each other. Bye. Me and you just singing on the train. Me and you listening to the rain. Me and you, we are the same. Me and you have all the fame we need. Indeed, you and me are we. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sportsbooks today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. Bet MGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus and present in Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. 
Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.